Welcome to Season 3 of How About We Do This Together, a podcast of the Northwest Christian Network. Season 3 is based around the 2023 Northwest Christian Convention, happening in Turner from July 27th to July 2nd. Follow the link in the show notes to register before the convention and to watch the videos after the convention is over. I hope you enjoy today's episode as we talk about how we can do this thing called the church together. Good evening. I have prayed for a cool breeze to come through here. So when that cool breeze comes, we'll all just go hallelujah. Amen? All right. Tonight, thank you so much for having me. And that's actually true. They called me like last year. They're like, hey, we have some dates. I don't know what you'll talk on, but we want you to come. And I was like, yeah. So I've been stoked and pumped and thinking of stoked and pumped and excited to come and be with you. Uh, So I wanted to start out by telling you a little story about my dad. And so my dad's name is Tom, and he's a carpenter. And he is a rough, tough, sailor kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember being six years old, and I had to go with him on the construction site, so I brought my Barbie RV and my, you know what I mean? But I went to the construction site. And so for many, many years, my rough, tough, he does like sailing, sailor type of dad, I prayed for him, and I prayed for his salvation. And then, you know when you pray for someone for a really long time, and then God does it, and you're like, whoa. You know, you don't even know what to think. Like, what will this look like in this rough, tough, sailor type of guy? So my dad, a construction guy, uh, found like some exotic, he calls it exotic wood, wood from around the world, and he started crafting crosses. And he would take these big, I mean, you know, like Rubik's Cube size, you know, thick, heavy crosses. And so he would choose these very, he'd say, oh, this one's from this part of Africa and this one's from Indonesia. And then what he would do is he would find the grain, any, any carpenters or woodworkers in here? Okay, you know what I'm saying? He's gonna find the grain of the wood and he would, he, he made it so smooth. And it also had texture, you know, because he rubbed into the grain, and so the wood itself even had little valleys. So I have a picture up here of my little sister, and I show her to show you how big this cross on the wall is. Um, And you can see the texture, right, and the lines in the wood. He crafted it, and by its very nature, it was beautiful and heavy and smooth, and it had texture from the grooves. Now, in Ephesians 2, we're going to look at how Jesus crafted the church, and what does his method tell us about the nature of the church? My husband said, bring the water. I said, don't bring the water. Just bring the water. I should always listen to your husband. Will you bring me the water? That would be great. All right. I've learned. He's always right. Every time. All right. So Ephesians 2 helps us embrace our identity in Christ as we hear it, think about it, and feel it. Now, I want to talk about hearing the word. Here's the thing. Okay, I'm a church historian, so I geek out on this kind of stuff, so humor me for two seconds. But a long time ago, when I was working, it wasn't that long ago, 
I know, for some of you, 10 years is not long ago. About 10 years ago, I was working on my PhD, and I read this article, some other guy geeking out on something, and he was talking about how in the first church, not a lot of people could read. I mean, probably more than we expect, but not a lot. So when you think, especially of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, it was actually written to be heard. Think about that. It's not that long in history. What are we going to go back? 500 years, 400 years? You're going to add the Bible printing up, right? People didn't have their own copy of the Word of God. You went to the church, and maybe they had one copy in the other church, and you sat and you heard the Word of God. And that means it is written to be heard. So tonight, I want to read it to you, and I'm going to do a little bit of a paraphrase, but I want you to hear it. I want you to listen for how does Jesus create the church, and I want you to listen to what is his method that he uses us tells us about the church. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2, but it kind of starts in 118. So I'm going to jump back just a little bit so that we get the context. Now again, this is sort of the NASB, literal Greek, thrown in with some paraphrasing to help us see the storytelling. So we've got Paul, the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the Ephesians. Now you've got the Mediterranean Ocean, right? And then you know where Turkey is, That's where Ephesus is. And it was a port city at the time. And it was a great city, a wealthy city. They had this huge temple to Artemis. I mean, there's still parts of this whole city there. And it was amazing. And it was pagan. And they were Gentile converts. And it was a big deal when they came to Christ. And now, Paul is writing to them to remember their roots, right? Remember your Jewish roots. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, the elpis, the confidence. This isn't the kind of hope like, hope I win the lottery. It's hope the sun rises because I found out in Oregon whether you see it or not. The sun is there and it is rising. I hope that you know the hope, the confidence to which he has called you. That means y'all. You all, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy, hagias people. Holy people. In the beginning of the book, it says, to the saints at Ephesus. The Greek teacher in me wants to tell you, go back and write holy. Saints just French for holy. And we just like reading saint. So we add it everywhere. But it's holy. He's writing to the holy ones in Ephesus. And tonight, God is speaking to the holy ones at Turner. That's you. Let's find out how. And his incomparably great power for everyone else. No. His incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Messiah from the dead. Now I say Messiah because Paul is reminding us we have a Jewish savior, right? When he raised Messiah from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. My own personal pet peeve is I want a capital H on every heavenly because heaven is a real place and a destination. It's not a myth. It's not a made up place. It is a place that God has prepared for us. And he has raised Messiah from the dead and seated him as right in the heavenly realms far above 
all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, Jesus Christ is above every power in this age, friends. Not only from this present age, but also the age to come. You don't need to fear who's gonna be president. You don't need to fear. You might be worried about who is president. You don't need to worry about Russia. All you need to know is that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He was Lord. He's still Lord. He will be Lord. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything, everything for the church, for the assembly, for the gathering, which is his body. How much more intimate do you get than that? He looks at us and says, this is my body. And we are the fullness of him who fills everything. Him who fills everything in every way. And you, he's saying, us Gentiles, being dead in your trespasses and sins. Anyone grow up with trespasses in the Our Father? Right? Okay. Yes. Why? You broke some stuff. There were laws and you didn't do it right? How many of us, every single one, can look at the whole list of things to do and went, nope, 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 right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked, in the manner of this generation. Would you say this generation has some trespasses and sins? Yes. Of this world, in the manner of the ruler, with the authority over the air we breathe, and who is that? Satan. Satan might be a ruler, but he is not in charge over all. King Jesus is in charge over all. Even though they call Satan the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit now working in the children of disobedience, among whom, Paul reminds us, we too all once lived, Jews, Gentiles, every single one of us, in, I love how you're, I'm gonna be real specific, you ready? In the strong desires of our flesh. We lived in our flesh, doing the wishes and desires of the flesh and the mind, right? And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. So you're saying, don't get too high and mighty, but God, Can I have an amen for the but God? But God being abundantly rich and wealthy in mercy because of his great agape love with which he agape loved us, even being dead in our trespasses. Okay, I was thinking through this last night and I know it's a sidetrack, but we got turkeys in Eugene. I came from LA and there were no turkeys roaming around. You're like, this is a real digression. It is. The point is we got a puppy and her name is Willa. And my husband took her for a walk and Willa found a little puddle. And it was a puddle filled with turkey poop. Turkey poop is green. And my little yellow lab decided to not sniff it, not walk in it. She with my husband rolled in it. That's right, she rolled in the turkey poop. And he came right in the house with the dog who had rolled in the turkey poop. And did I say, oh, come here, Willa? Oh no, I said, get that dog in the bath, right? I was hose that dog off. That dog is not coming in my house covered in turkey poop, right? No, thank you. 
In the same way, when we do all that stuff in the world, we are rolling in turkey poop. And our Father says, nah, before you come to heaven, we are hosing you down. We are cleansing you in the blood of Jesus, and you will be clean. And you are welcome and loved in my house, but I am cleansing you off. We are getting that yuck off. And that yuck had made us literally dead inside. Look at the world around you. The yuck doesn't just make people stink. They're dead. What is happening in our world right now? Suicide rates are soaring. Antidepressants are soaring. People feel alone and unseen. They are the walking dead. But death is not the gall that God has for us. Because right here, the very first time, we have a very real verb in this very long sentence. Paul says, but he made us alive. Can I get a hallelujah? Listen, he made us alive. God has not called you to death. God has called you to life in Christ, the Messiah. And it is by grace God's love for you that you are saved and we have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Jesus. He didn't just wash you off. He made us his own. He brought us into special sacred places. But why? You ever wonder that? Okay, he did it. But why? So that in the ages to come, he might show the super abundantly rich wealth of his grace in his kindness towards us. And here's something I once heard from my pastor when I was a little girl, and this stuck with me. When the Bible says it twice, you know it's important, right? My husband laughed because he heard the same sermon at a different church. It sounds like, listen, he says it again. By grace, you are sozo. You are saved. You are healed. You are preserved. You are rescued. It is a main verb, my friends. By grace, you are saved. So what are our two verbs? He made us alive, and by grace, you are saved. Amen? He doesn't leave you dead. And this all happens. How? Because I'm a super nice person, and I attended church every week, and I gave a lot? No. It comes through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It's not something we accomplish. It's not like I get into heaven one step ahead of someone and say, well, I went to church four times that month and you only went three times that month. No, it is not by works. It's not something we do. It is the gift. It is the present of God to us. It's not coming out of our works. So that why? so that none of us can boast. We come to the throne in equal standing, covered in the blood of Jesus because we are cleansed and we are purified and we are loved by a savior who is gracious and has called us to life. For we are, I love this word right here. I know, I've said a few Greek ones, but I really like this one. I think it's super cool and fun. We are his poema. His poema, what does that sound like in English? Someone shout out, poema. Poem, yes, we are his poem. In ancient Greek, they would say the muses like did a poema, right? And, and Paul is using the word to say, we are God's poema. It's, as in we never heard, God is making a great tapestry and it looks pretty on the front and on the back it doesn't look so great, but you're part of the great, ta- anyone heard the great tapestry ever in a sermon? Oh, someone other, oh, there's gotta be a few more. Yes, thank you. Well, I'm gonna throw a new one out there. It's not new actually, it's in the Bible. You are God's poema. Isn't that beautiful? 
There's this beautiful story, this poema, and you're a part of it. For we are his poema created. Remember the craftsman, Jesus is a carpenter shaped in Messiah Jesus for good works. God has good works, good stuff for you. Which God, now this word, anyone from Ephesians 1.5, we heard about last night, we were told predestined, right? There's predestined, but this word is prepared. This is the word that means someone got something ready in advance. Jesus got something ready in advance for you. He has a plan for the church that he has been working on, and it is to be part of this poema. Why? For his own use and purpose so that we would live our lives in these good works. We will live in these good things. God hasn't called you to bad things. When I was a teenager, I thought if I gave my life to Jesus, he was gonna send me somewhere terrible and marry me to someone ugly. For real, I thought that. (laughs) And he sent me to a wonderful place and gave me the best husband. Sorry, other wives, but I had the best one. I always tell him I got the best one because he has good things planned for us. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life, but I want to remind you, look back at the past and see God has been faithful. And if you're too deep down the hole right now, I want to remind you, God has been faithful, God will be faithful, you just hold on. Because our God is faithful and he has good things planned for us. Doesn't mean they're not hard things, but he is faithful and he is with us. And then it says, therefore, remember, okay, Paul, I'm going to remember what? Remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, are called the uncircumcision by the ones called the circumcision, and that's all done in the flesh, so he's very unhappy with those words. And he says, remember, you were at that time without, you were separate from the Messiah, literally not part of, excluded from the people of Israel. And foreigners, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope, no confidence, and without God in the world. But now, in Messiah Jesus, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah, for he himself is our peace. Where is your peace in this world? Jesus is our peace. You can't pay $19.99 on the the TV for it. You're not gonna pay $300 and go to a special, well, I guess that'd be like a one-hour conference if it's that special, but you're not gonna pay for it. You're not gonna find it in a bottle. You're not gonna find it in a relationship. Our peace is in Jesus, for he himself is our peace who made both Jew and Gentile one and broke down the barrier, the dividing wall. It's an image of the temple and the, the wall between the Gentiles and the Israelites. He broke it down, annulling, abolishing in his flesh. Oh, I like this word, ekthra. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Kind of Star Wars, ekthra. Anyways, the ekthra, the hostility and hatred of enemies, which is the law composed of commandments and expressed in ordinance. And why did he break it down? So that the two, when I say Jew and Gentile, can you think of the two people you know at war? All right, so that the two, He might create in himself into one new person. In this way, Jesus, the carpenter, making, constructing what? Peace. 
and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the ekthra, the hostility. And he came and he proclaimed peace to you who were far away and those who were near For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, he's at the end of it, so then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the Hagias, those holy ones. You are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who are Jewish, he wants to remind them, the cornerstone being Messiah Jesus himself and who the whole building is fit together. Kind of like Jenga and you pull out the wrong piece. You gotta have Jesus in there to make it all hold together. And growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together in the dwelling of God in the spirit. I'm going to get to this in two seconds. Do you know what a big deal it is that the Jewish Paul, follower of Jesus, says you are the temple of God? That's new. That's huge. For a moment, I want us to step back from the text and I want us to think. I want us to think about what this text says because there was a lot there that we just covered. So we're going to think. He brought us from death to life through Jesus. He is making a poema of us. He broke down the wall of hostility, the wall keeping Gentiles out. He brought us near. He united Jew and Gentile. He proclaiming a good news of peace. We are now fellow holy ones, no longer strangers and foreigners, fellow citizens. You hear all the uniting words? We're fellow, we're together. The wall is down. We are now members of God's household. He didn't just bring us in. The word in Ephesians 1 is he adopted us. He made us his own. He added us to the family genealogy chart. When they took family pictures, we were in it. We were made part of his household and family, part of the actual temple of God. Christ is the cornerstone. The prophets and apostles are the foundation. It's filled with God's spirit. And how does Jesus do this? He breathes life into us. We are made alive. We are rescued, delivered, and saved. Think about spiritual death and the transformation to spiritual life. God has called you life. I don't know why, but tonight that's what God really wants me to say to you. God has called you to life. That he has given you breath because he has a plan and he has made you on purpose for a purpose. Every day you live, you can proclaim the glory of God. Every day you live, you can pray. Do you know prayer isn't just for funsies? Prayer actually changes things. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I have a raise of a hand if you've ever seen prayer change anything? Prayer changes things. You are alive for a purpose and a plan. All those victories that we heard about. God has victories planned for you. So don't give up and don't despair. Victory isn't for everybody else. It is for the church. And you are part of the church through Jesus Christ. And God has a plan and a purpose and a victory for you. God has called you to life. And he has not only called you to breathe, he has called you to live. Do you hear me? 
Yes, God hasn't called you just to breathe and to be alive. He has called you to live. Each day you breathe, I'm saying it again, it has a purpose. Each day breath is part of God's great poema, making you part of it. Now let's get brainy for two seconds. What does this method tell us about the nature of the church? So what's in nature? Basically, it's what something's made of, what its attributes are. So my dad's cross, what was the nature of it? It was, in my opinion, beautiful, heavy, smooth, it had a texture from the grooves. What's the nature of God? The divine nature. Okay, what are the omnis? Can we throw them out there? Omni? 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 We're getting them all. All right, omnipresent, right? Omniscient, omnipotent, right? All-powerful, all-knowing. I'd like to add in all-loving. God, those are his, that's his nature. And what does it mean to be a human, right? What separates us from animals that aren't humans? We have reason, conscience, memory, will, affections. Now I brought up my dog, so for kicks. What's the nature of a dog? Someone throw it out there. A dog has loyalty, Dog has hair, fur, hair, sharp teeth. What else? Yes, a sense of smell, fine sense of hearing. They're playful. So what's the nature of the church? Oh, what are the attributes of us? This is where in another context, I'd say let's break into groups and everybody talk about what do you think the nature of the church is? But we're all together, so I'm gonna sum it up. Ecclesia means called out. It's a called out assembly. God has called you from the world. Do you know when I was a little girl, I really wanted to be like everybody else. Like so much, I wanted to be like everybody else. And my whole life, I've never been like everybody else. I wanted to fit in, I've never fit in. I'm just an odd duck. But is there anybody else in the room that feels like an odd duck with me? Any other odd ducks? Well, you know what? God has called us out of the world. We're all odd ducks because we all believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. We're willing to give our life to him. We're willing to forgive. We're willing to grow. We're willing to be generous. We have been getting called out of the world into this called out assembly where we're little odd ducks for Jesus, right? But the beautiful little duck, serving Christ with humility, loving him, right? What is the nature of the church? We're being called out. And what does God do? He calls. In the beginning, he called out and said, let there be. God calls us to himself. Jesus says, come to me. God gives each of us a calling or a vocation. He says to Peter, I call you rock. He says, I call you student worker. I call you worshiper. I call you mentor. I call you the grandpa who gives and loves and spends time. I call you, right? He calls us each something. So what do we learn of the church? We are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, a new humanity, a family of God. We went from being sons of wrath to seated in glory with Christ. So much up here. And I want to bring it down here. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? If we go from thinking to feeling, how does it make you feel when I say you are wanted and you are chosen and you are seen and you are included? You are a part of what God is doing. Do you believe me? Do you feel it deep inside? I am wanted, I am chosen. Or do all those things that have happened tell you, nah, not really, maybe someone else, right? 
The temple in Jerusalem sits on a hill, like on a cake platter, like on a mount. It's called it the temple mount, but it's kind of like a deck or I don't know. It's a big thing, and it sits on top of this mountain, and on top of that is the temple. And to get into the temple, back in the day, you would go, even still, you go through some stairs and through some gates, and you entered the courtyard of the Gentiles. And after the courtyard of the Gentiles was like a four and a half foot stone wall with a sign that said, I'm paraphrasing, you can't go any farther. If you're a Gentile, no go for you. And after that was the courtyard of the women. And the women could, and the men were all in that area. But then there was a sign that was like, no ladies past this point. And after that, it was Israelite guys. And after that, there was another space where it was just priests. And then you came into the temple and there was another space called the Holy of Holies. One priest, once a year, got to go in there. There are layers of not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Someone else, someone's more special, someone's more holy. And in our lives, so many times we hear that and we take it on ourselves. Not for you, for someone else. We feel unholy, we feel other, we feel excluded. But this passage is so important because it's where we learn that in Christ, we are wanted. Our God, didn't we list all those omnis? Omniscient, omnipotent. I believe that our Lord, our God, can be keenly aware of each one of us and all of us at the same time. God's not put out. I've had people say, oh, you don't need to pray for me. God's got a lot to look at. What kind of limited God do you have? No. God wants to hear from you, all your stuff. God is extremely, intimately aware of you. You know, scientists say, I am not a scientist, so when I miss this in some way, you can inform me after, but there are things that hold our body together, right? Things we can't see. I know there's terms for it. All right, what is that? The Bible tells us that Christ holds all things together. If that's true, That thing that scientists go, ooh, it's Jesus. He already knows that you hurt. He already knows that you have joy. He already knows that you have needs. He is literally holding your eyebrow from floating up into the top of your head. He is holding your parts together. And don't complain about it. (laughs) And you might be like, well, I could hold them together a little better. But listen. He's holding it all together. He's going through the process of growing with you. You're not alone. You are seen. You are wanted. You have been chosen. You have been wanted. There is a plan. There is a purpose. You are a part of the body of Christ. And it says in Galatians 3, 26, 29, for everyone in here who thinks secretly for someone other than me, God loves someone a little bit more than me. God's called someone else a little bit higher than me. No. Listen. For you all are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ. 
have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. What is that? In our church, let there be no racism, no classism, no sexism, for we are one in Christ. Christ loves us each beautifully. He loves us each beautifully. He has called us all, not one, right? He, we all are to share the goodness and love of God wherever we do that. Some of us do that as teachers. Some of us do that in the church. Some of, we do it in different spaces. We do it in our homes. We do it with our friends. Each of us are called. I love that we've had so many things we've heard about, and one of the things was about evangelism, that it's not usually someone goes to the sermon and, wow, first time I heard about Jesus, I get saved. That friend that brought them has been sharing for a long time, right? That aunt's been, oh, I pray for you, right? All of these people around them, classmates, I said, want to come to youth group? This all adds up. This is how we are all called to Jesus. I went to four high schools as a little girl. I didn't live in a Christian family. But when I was in first grade, we moved next to a pastor and his wife who took me to church and I prayed to receive Jesus. Like I legit said, what's happening in your house and my house are different and your house has Jesus and I want that, all right? And so as a little girl who was kind of bopping around Somehow, we know how, a holy God, all those high schools I went to, some kid came up to me and said, want to go to my youth group? Yeah, I do. I was too young. I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know how to look. I didn't know how to find one. When you invite someone to youth group, you save a life, man. You saved my life. And we're the one holding that youth group. You're saving a life. And when you're the mentor who sits there with that little girl who's all messed up and prays for her and knows her name, do you know the power of knowing someone's name? Caring that they showed up, hosting at the door and saying, hi, I'm glad to see you again this week. That's powerful. That's the power of life and death. It's beautiful. So I want you to know tonight that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are wanted, you've been chosen, you've been called, that you are the temple. I have another picture. I'll take them quick. This is the temple mount. I don't know if I'm hoping you can see it, but you see it looks like Legos. They're all put together like bricks. Now let's go to the next picture. This is my little girl putting her little prayer in the wall. But what I want to show you, other than so cute, right? All right, listen. Do you see those lines and people shoving their little prayers in? After 2,000 years, friends, it is hard to shove a little prayer between those bricks. And they're huge. That's why I showed you the picture. They're huge. This is just the foundation. Listen. We are being built into something amazing that holds together through time. And my little girl, she's putting her prayer in there. Why? She wanted to know, why, mommy? Why do we shove a prayer in there? Well, because that's what people do. But why? We're in holy ground. Why? And we did it, everyone. You walk backwards. You don't turn your your backside to the holy space. You walk backwards out. So they thought that was good fun. I have twin six-year-olds, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
and he has chosen to make you part of his temple. Remember that one priest that went in once a year to the Holy Holies? Friend, you are filled with the Holy Spirit now. You are the Holy of Holies. That's how special you are. Can you imagine the angels in heaven going, wow, I can't believe he did that with them. Woo, they really mess up and he still made them temples of the Holy Spirit. Fill them with his spirit. I think we're the glory of God. God loves to do things in crazy spaces, right? He takes a carpenter's son, Messiah. David, youngest son, becomes king. Not just king, he's King David, right? And what about you? He's doing and has done and will continue to do great things in you. And can I remind you that knowing the name of that little girl who's on her fourth move in high school is a great thing. Don't stop doing those great things. Now, I want to close as a history teacher. By the time we get to the conclusion, I ask my history students, so what? I want you to answer in this paragraph, so what? Why do I care about this? Blah, 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 blah. You put a little life in here and tell me in your conclusion, so what? Why should I care about everything you just wrote? I tell them, don't be offended. I tell everyone that. So, so what? Why? Because God is calling you to not only hear the word, not only think about the word, and not only feel the word, but he wants you to be. Now, you can't be the word, but you can be filled with the word, and you can live out the word. You are to be in Christ. You are to be the temple of God. You are to be the one who is alive. You are to be the one who has hope. You are to be the one filled with light and sharing life. That's the so what God hasn't called you to death. God hasn't called you to despair. God hasn't called you to do nothing. God has called you to shine. God has called you to share. God has called you to love. God has called you to be his hands and feet in the world because we need each other. We are the church together. He is calling us to be. And so I want to say to you as we close, I want to remind you, as you go to bed tonight, I want you to think about this. If you truly, really are, do you really believe the Bible? Raise your hand. This, hi, do you really believe it? Is it all true? Is it true for you? Then you are the temple of God, friend. You weren't created to be treated poorly. Would you let someone come vandalize this building, spray paint it, take an ax to it? Would you be offended? Would you be upset? Anyone? Then does someone get to treat you bad? Oh, no. God hasn't called you to think of yourself like dirt. He's called you to say, I am a holy one of God. I am not perfect, but in Jesus Christ, I will do my best to shine for Christ today. He hasn't called you to be mistreated and he hasn't called you to mistreat others. When you go to sleep, I want you to think of the most difficult Christian you know and you've got him already in your mind. They're a temple of the living God. How can we honor and respect and love even the difficult? Because maybe that one needs it most of all. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.
Lord God, we come before you tonight and we thank you for making us alive and saving us. Open our ears to hear your word and hear your voice. Give us clear minds to think and meditate on your words. Help us to understand your word and your will. Help us to know and feel your Holy Spirit. Heal our broken minds and hearts. Help us to be holy as you are holy. I pray for the one who came here tonight not feeling very alive. I pray that they would hear words of life from God that say, I love you, I created you for a purpose, you are part of my temple, I have called you to shine. You are loved, child of God. You are chosen, you are seen, you are wanted. Go forward tonight in the favor and love of your God. In Jesus' name, amen. This episode was produced by the Northwest Christian Network. Theme song is Simply Beautiful by Scott Riggin. The Northwest Christian Network is a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Matt Holmes. Thanks for listening.